heavily, I'm a clown. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber, the show about Bitcoin, Bitcoin lunchboxes. I did an interview with my friend Ben Kaufman a few weeks ago, talking about an article that he released at the beginning of October called The Monetary Case for Bitcoin. Now, Ben is not a native English speaker, um, and he was a little bit nervous about this interview, but I think that he did a really good job. Ben is super smart, and I think that his article was really well written. So if you guys listen to this interview and you like it, go and show him some love on Twitter for uh, you know, coming on the show and, and being willing to talk with me, even though English is not his first language. I'm going to go ahead and get right into it. Make sure you guys check out the Monetary Case for Bitcoin, which is Ben's article that I'll have down in the show notes below. Other than that, I'll talk with you guys again at the end. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Ben, how you doing, man? I'm good, Kong. How are you? Good. Actually, you're one of the many Bens that I've had on the show now, so I should clarify, this is Ben Kaufman, not Ben Carmen or Ben Prentice. <laughs> but uh, you're, you're in the long line of esteemed Bens because they've all been great so far. Yeah, I hope, I hope I uh, hold it, yeah. No, for sure. Well, actually, anybody who, who doesn't know who Ben is... Um, He's he's pretty young and he's actually I in my opinion like one of the sharpest bitcoiners out there. Um I'm pretty impressed with him I have to say. Uh you recently published one of not your very first article but one of like probably your longest most comprehensive articles, right? The monetary case for bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So that's what basically the first one which is bitcoin focused and not just general economics. Um and just also the longest you want to talk a little bit about that, or would you rather start with um, a little bit about yourself, like what your background is, what got you, like how does someone like yourself find yourself writing articles on Medium about Bitcoin and Austrian economics? Uh, yeah, sure. So yeah, I can start with that. So I guess I came to Bitcoin like around late 2016 um, from from a technical background. So I started coding at the around the age of 12, I guess, something like that. Um, also left school uh, around the, the beginning of ninth grade, so age 14, something like that, uh, to focus on on working and on coding, basically. Hmm. On, uh, yeah, so developing a career as a developer. Um, worked mostly as a freelancer um, before that. Um, also tried university, but just was kind of boring compared to working and actually coding stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's that. Um, so as the, I think the first thing which got me like very passionate about Bitcoin is uh, the whole thing with being an underage and working with banks. 
so not many like um not many people at my age like started working and earning um so earning basically uh, a developer salary i guess mm-hmm. and that was working i had to work with banks in order to to use the money and it was a complete nightmare like they have such a ridiculous at least here they have such ridiculous limitations on underage people so everybody under 18 uh you you can't use most of your money so if you earn a little than the more than the average you basically just can't use it and it's <laughs> it was a nightmare so i could withdraw like a hundred dollars a day or something like that and couldn't make like many types of transfers couldn't get a credit card basically could, just couldn't use my money couldn't use my own money that was that was really frustrating for me and, and you bucked the system too much man you should have been in school <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly so I should have been at school. So they're not assuming anyone who is under 18 will start doing stuff, will start actually working at that age. Um, and yeah, so the whole system is, is unfit for that. And that was, that was very, like a large problem for me. Um, so a lot of bureaucracies and something like that. So now I guess now that now I'm 18 and that's, I guess that's fine now, but I still, of course, now I have Bitcoin, so I don't really need them. Right. Well, uh, so were, that. were you, would you have considered yourself an Austrian before you found Bitcoin or after? Um, no. So I would say that I never liked, I never liked authority in, in any way. So they were like trying to keep me at school, trying to also keep me, like keep me in systems. And I, I always hated that. But I never like really got into Austrian economics before Bitcoin or into economics at all, I guess, before Bitcoin. Um, I tried to, uh, so I initially like around the age of 12, I guess, when I, around when I started coding, I also tried to learn a bit of economics, but it was, I guess, somewhat Keynesian mm-hmm. and none of that shit made sense to me. I remember like, I remember my daughter trying to teach me a bit from what I remembered from, from college. So about why inflation is, is so important and I could never figure that out, I guess. So I, I just remembered like he was telling me how hyperinflation destroyed our currency um, about two decades ago here. And also at the same time that inflation is good and basically necessary for, I don't know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure for what reasons exactly. Never understood that very well. Um, so yeah, so I tried a little when I was very young, but it didn't make sense. And before Bitcoin, I guess. Isn't it interesting how uh, something that's so wrong can be presented as fact and just make you feel like you're an idiot? Like, I don't understand this. Why don't I understand this? It doesn't make any sense. And everyone's like, well, it's, it's just really complicated. You have to be really smart to understand it. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's really insane. So that people used to have some basic understanding about money, like 100 years ago, 200 years ago, um, even a few, like even a few centuries ago, they understood that, that paper money isn't, isn't actual money. Like it isn't real money. No one uh, really wanted to accept that uh, initially. And when, uh, when banks or kings try to debase that, 
a lot of time it caused really like uh, uproars from from communities so that was a really big issue and now like nobody nobody even cares about that anymore they just assume it's too complicated and they trust the government to do whatever it does hmm. so you said you started programming at 12 and uh, you started working around 14 when you left school so what what kind of uh, you don't have to get into super specifics, but what kind of work have you done in in the technical world? Um, yeah, so initially it started mostly with mobile, uh, a little bit of web, but mostly mobile apps, so Android, iOS, basically. Um, just worked at, as freelancer with like mostly like freelance websites, um, but also like direct clients. Um, but yeah, mostly mobile, I guess. I uh, okay. started learning more more after, but yeah. Gotcha. Just learned as I as I go on. Okay. So let's let's talk about um this most recent article that you wrote, the monetary case for Bitcoin. Now, this article is is uh pretty deep. I mean it takes about forty minutes to read through the whole thing unless you read through it quickly, but it's uh it's pretty dense. Uh, has Cryptoconomy covered it yet? I'm sure he probably will. Um, so I don't think he did, but I don't know, maybe he will. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him about that and see about getting it covered. Cause I think it's really <laughs> good. Um, why don't you talk to us about where your head was at when you wrote this and maybe kind of give us a synopsis about, uh, cause this seems to me like you're just trying to dump everything you've learned in the last few years into this article. Yeah. So <laughs> not everything. I'm trying to keep a few topics for the next art- few articles, but. Yeah, a lot of things I try to, to put there. Um, so I guess, like, initially I wanted to, I like, the last um, three articles, so this one and the previous two, I initially planned on making this a one giant, I guess, article about what is money and why Bitcoin is, is money. Um, just to kind of wrap my head um, personally around what, around the development of money. So from from writers like Menger and even Sabo, uh, um, which were all very, very important for my understanding of that. Uh, I just try to, to recap my knowledge about it. Okay, interesting. So um, for, for anybody who hasn't read, a, read the article, could you give us like a like a synopsis of, of what it is that you're talking about here and uh, what your, um, what yeah, your main sure. points were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So I tried to go over a couple of, of important or what I think is important um, points basically of, of Bitcoin, of how its economics work from its production and its supply limit, um, its monitor properties, let's call it that way. So it's portability, visibility, etc. Um, and just just basically show how Bitcoin fits into the, the needs of people for for a, for sound money. So how how can it help um, help people actually use money as as they should? Uh, mm-hmm. How they can use it to save how they can use it to transact with each other um, without depending on, on government. And, 
You know, it's interesting because you probably have a, a unique perspective on that being that some of the challenges that you went through um, using the traditional financial system, challenges that probably a lot of people who live in westernized countries don't usually face uh, because they're not they're not using the financial system when they're that young. Um, that might be a problem that people might normally have in uh, third world countries or um, or developing just developing nations in general. Um, do you think, did you, how, how much did you really use Bitcoin as a monetary medium um, when you were going through those struggles with, with the banks in your early career? Mm -hmm. So initially I didn't know about Bitcoin when I, like at the beginning, so I had to fully deal with the banks and basically gradually as I started learning and discovering Bitcoin, I started moving uh, my migrating into this new system basically. so very gradually um, from whatever I was saving um, and now I guess only like only very basic day-to-day -day, uh, credit card transactions money I, get, I use the banks for mm -hmm. but I tried I, I just try to keep everything else away from them I guess so do you think uh primarily for right now that bitcoin bitcoin's biggest use case is a savings vehicle do you think um what do, what do you think about this narrative of you know using bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee uh like on chain like um i think one day it will be awesome to buy a cup of coffee with bitcoin probably not on chain because just because it's very it's it's a bad idea from so many reasons to, to use the on chain from for copy for buying copy basically. So first of all, privacy. Uh, you don't want everybody to know everything about you. Um, secondly, uh, maybe most importantly, uh, you don't want to have to save and validate everyone's cup of coffee purchases. So that's just a ridiculous idea to try and validate each and every transaction in the world by each and every individual in the world that just can't work mm. um, from from purely like technical perspective um, but I think like with the lightning network I use it for a couple of stuff and I think it can be an awesome solution um, I'm always like interested in many other solutions so sidechains um, there's also this latest things called state chains which I looked into a bit which is also I guess pretty cool um, but mostly lightning I, I think will will do that I don't think we need full on-chain security for, for copycat purchases right right yeah and it's amazing how quickly lightning is growing um, but you know you still see a lot of detractors uh, in in cryptocurrency who probably are holding a lot of altcoins and, and hoping that they're going to appreciate and value and that they're going to see significant returns from whatever altcoins that they're holding. And they like to try to uh, poke holes in the lightning narrative. They like to say that lightning uh, is very aware that, it, that it's too difficult to use, that uh, it's never going to really scale Bitcoin, that it's a dumb idea. And they'll say, uh, they'll propose their altcoin of choice instead. They'll say, well, no, Nano or XRP or whatever is, is so much better. So for you, why is it Bitcoin uh, and not one of these other tokens 
Yeah, so sure. First of all, yeah, Lightning is currently complicated, but so was Bitcoin when it was just created. So for the first few years trying to use Bitcoin, you know, it was basically a nightmare. Um, it was unsecure. It was it it was hard to use. So that's I guess that's all normal also for the first few years of the Lightning Network. For just like about two or three years with that, with that. Mm-hmm. so I'm very like I'm not surprised that it's still hard to to use. Um, but it it's definitely getting much and much better with I guess with each day. Um, the the community working on it is pretty amazing in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I I I'm sorry I guess. Um, maybe because I'm more technical, but I can see like current solutions which I can use for many, uh, many things already. Um, so from this perspective, I think Lightning is doing very well compared to anything else. But also from why, why not use any other altcoins? Because first of all, as I said, from a purely engineering mindset, nothing else will will work for scaling uh, which is i'm not saying lightning specifically but everything else which mm-hmm. tries to put everything on chain it's it won't it just won't work and from the monetary perspective just looking about um so just looking at bitcoin as a monetary asset what's important is its monetary properties uh, it's limited supply and most more importantly, the guarantee for that limit. Um, it's decentralization, the ability of everyone to verify it and use it. And that's everything like from that perspective with Bitcoin is unprecedented and compared to other altcoins, it is unmatched. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, it, I just think it's funny, you know, I, I'm willing to bet that a lot of these people who claim that lightning uh, is too difficult to use or that it doesn't work uh, have probably never even really tried to use it because it, it's difficult but you don't have to be that technically competent um, just to just to get it up and running yeah so today you don't have to be technical almost at all I guess to to get it up and running you have many many options so currently my favorite I guess is um, breeze if you if you heard about this uh, wallet What's it called? So that was um, Breeze, I think, B-R-E-E-Z. No, I haven't heard of so, that. Yeah, so that's that was um, probably the easiest one I, to use so far, which is non-custodial at least. Um, and this, I mean, this was just so easy to set up. They do most of the work for you behind the scenes. And I think, like, Using it right now, it's it's pretty easy, at least relatively to any to any other altcoin, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you could maybe argue, um, perhaps more secure than a lot of the base chains of other protocols uh, that make yeah, security course. trade-offs. When we know Lightning at least settles on Bitcoin, and yeah, there there have been uh, some security bugs with Lightning, but. That's how you want those things to be discovered early on in a in a protocol's lifetime, rather than later on when it secures more value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So bugs were discovered with Bitcoin in its initial days and were fixed, and bugs were discovered in many altcoins and 
I guess at least some of them fixed it. <laughs> I don't even sure that most of them fixing it because most of them have vaporwave, I guess. But yeah, so bugs are bugs are normal, but as long as it's nothing in the in the very like basic logic of, of lightning, I guess nothing is very is, nothing is critical. Um, as long as it's not part of the mechanism of lightning. And using it is much more secure because it depends on the security of the of the Bitcoin network itself, which is currently the most secure asset to, to transact with. Probably the most secure network in the world. In fact, I would say absolutely the most secure network in the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's go back to your to your article. Um, I know in there you you had kind of talked about uh, you had a section called legislating Bitcoin and you talked about the demise of precious metals as a monetary substance um, and how basically monop like government monopolies over um, these precious metal supplies slowly led to the demise of that commodity being useful as a free market money. Can you kind of talk about? that a little bit and how you think Bitcoin is different? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, sure. So I think the, the best uh, exposition on that, on the demise basically of precious metals as money can be found in um, the ethics of money production uh, of Holzman. Mm -hmm. So basically he, he shows that, I guess, much better than I, but you can find a very short version, I guess, in my article. So they started with with uh, giving one precious metal. Um, most of them did for gold, but some also for silver. Uh, eventually, they all did for gold. Um, they gave it a monopoly right, basically. So you had to they you had to accept the gold as as a payment. You couldn't uh, refuse for that. So they gave it some advantage over other precious metals. Um, which centralized the um, which centralized the options that that people had from various precious metals and assets in general into one uh, precious metal. Um, after that, they just started slowly to uh, centralize the, the banking system, which which people use. So, <clears throat> sorry. So they started um, enforcing greater and greater legislations over banks. They set up central banks, which had um, various monopoly rights compared to other banks. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually they just banned gold, gold holdings. You right. had to, to deposit your gold, like with uh, Executive Order um, 6102, I, mm -hmm. I think. Correct. You had to, yeah, you had to give up your gold to the government in the United States. I think other governments did that even earlier than that. Most governments, and then everything, the entire gold supply, at least the monetary gold supply, was completely confiscated and uh, kept with with the government. At mostly, uh, at very very. Uh, Specific specific locations, um, banks or mostly central banks, and then it was extremely easy to just uh, break that link with uh, with President Nixon in seventy one. 
Right. So all they had to do is to declare that they stopped stopped uh, within building. They mm-hmm. suspended the conversion of of, uh, of the papers of their fiat papers into into gold. And the like because the the entire process was so slow, such a slow transition, it was so hard to to act against it. So it just started. I guess bite by bite. So it started with giving gold the monopoly over other uh, currencies, uh, other precious metals. Then started um, centralizing the the holdings themselves into central banks and other other institutions, and then just confiscating everything and suspending readability. So. Uh, and that was a, a really good um, synopsis there, some of the history of uh, how we got where we are today. Why do you think Bitcoin is different? Uh, yeah, so I hope Bitcoin is different because it, it first of all, it gives you uh, complete control over your money. So with, with cryptography, it's, hard, it's much harder to confiscate that like with, with gold, which was relatively easy to do. Um, hopefully, uh, because you can transact, because it's 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 just completely a digital asset. You can transact it either with Lightning Network or with the base layer to some extent. Even um, you can just transact with it so easily that you don't need the banking system for that, or at least you don't need any trusted uh, banking system. Even you, even if you use completely Lightning, then you still don't need any trusted. Um, Kind of banking or uh, service provider system which you have to to give your money to, um, and since they can decentralize the the holdings of of Bitcoin into very specific legal legal institutions which they can um, force into forfeiting it, then I ho- hope Bitcoin will be able to completely resist that. Mm. Yeah, that that's. Um, I think that that's probably my biggest concern about Bitcoin. Um, not so much that it's going to be legislatively resistant, but that um, it's going to be like, I guess, socially resistant to the same pitfalls that we always fall into um, when it comes to sacrificing security and first principles for convenience uh, and comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think it- one of the greatest threats to Bitcoin isn't that we're like, isn't just government attack is it's people not caring enough about, about its very essence, I guess. Uh, so people not running a full node, people not uh, validating their transactions, people not holding their, their private keys. I think that's, that can be a big, a, a, like a very big issue in the, in the, uh, also in the present, because there is a lot of people which currently use uh, many exchanges and stuff, but mostly in the future, I guess. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, a lot of the issues with gold that led to its centralization, like it, it being difficult to transport, um, not having very good divisibility, you know, and, and that is what led rise to coinage, which was eventually debased or clipped, and then eventually paper IOUs, which were, as we know, rehypothecated and printed at infinitum and eventually became the fiat money that we know today, which isn't backed by anything. 
um, you can kind of see some parallels with Bitcoin, right? Because there are pain points in Bitcoin, just like there are pain points with physical gold. Um, it, it's difficult and cumbersome and maybe technically um, complicated to validate your own Bitcoin via your own full node, right? To track your own UTXOs on the blockchain. Uh, it, it's difficult to have to think through secure security models um, in, in, a, in the internet world where things are constantly changing and software is constantly being updated and attackers are getting smarter every day. Um, these are real pain points that people are going to want to try to mitigate in their own lives and perhaps be willing to sacrifice some of the first principles of Bitcoin uh, to arrive at uh, in a lot of the same ways that they did with gold, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that what what is like, or I guess give me, gives me hope with that Bitcoin will not fall in, in the same way that gold did, is that it can be uh, made very convenient to use even completely so um, completely trustlessly. Mm-hmm. So with with many companies uh, actively working to to develop such such uh, solutions, so for for even like the average persons. Uh, to be able to to transact uh, with your own full node um, nodal for example um, so just setting up a node and making it extremely easy for everybody to do that um, very convenient uh, non custodial wallets even exchanges now with lightning for example uh, which is which i guess is really really cool uh solutions and yeah i I hope that bitcoin will not get to to those same issues as gold i think it's it will not because there's so much work on on great products to to prevent that but i do i do think it's it's a very like risky point with with bitcoin Mm. yeah and I like uh, how you structured the article here because you go from uh, how Bitcoin is resistant to a lot of these pitfalls that, that we've run into in the past. And then from there, you know, you, you kind of answered the question, um, can it work? And then from there, you go into the next section on the article, which is social globalization and Bitcoin, which kind of answers the question like, uh, well, how, how will it get there? Or, you know, will people really adopt this? Like, is this going to just be some obscure internet money thing forever? Or is it really going to fit into this paradigm of exponential growth and, and uh, people becoming more and more connected and constantly online? Like uh, Gigi made a really good point in my most recent episode where he said that he remembers the day when you would go offline. And that was like a big event because you would be you would tell everyone that you were leaving your computer uh, and, and they would know they weren't going to be able to access you for that period of time that you were away from your computer. But now things have changed in such a way that you're never really offline. You're always connected in one way or another. Um, how, how do you think that this, how do you, how do you, how do you see uh, Bitcoin fitting into this paradigm of the world that's so rapidly changing? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess for, for many people which are looking at, at the internet now, like from its very beginning, it was the, the internet itself was kind of magic. Um, was very hard to, to understand and very, uh, very strange, I guess. But for, for people my age, um, for my generation, it's, 
it's very we're we're so used to it like it's part of our life since i guess since a very very young age um and i don't i i just don't think people will continue to see bitcoin as a magic internet money but just simply an internet an internet money so mm-hmm. it will be very straightforward for them cuz that like seeing seeing bitcoin as some kind of magical thing as some bizarre thing is is i mean it's very natural for people who have never uh, who have seen it at a later age i guess but not for not for young people so i know my friends used bitcoin even before i did to to sell some game items they they held um for i, I don't even remember what game that was but i think i remember them telling me about that bitcoin thing i guess in 2014 mm. which they sold a couple of game items for and now they try to to sell that for 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 cash and that was i guess pretty cool in like to to see how how young people react to that so for them it was a very a very natural thing it wasn't so bizarre or, or magical i guess Right. It was very easy to use, even at that, um, even at that time. Like yeah, you know, it's interesting. Ago. It's interesting to me, um, being like, because you said you're a digital native, basically. You know, you've grown up mm-hmm. in this world where the internet just has always existed, and I'm not that much older than you, but just old enough to kind of remember um, when it was really becoming a thing. When when we were quickly moving from. Um, in an unconnected world, or at least um, uh, like an analog connected world to this digitally connected world. Um, and it was when I was very young and it was happening very quickly, uh, just over a period of several years, it suddenly everyone was using the internet. More and more people had computers in their homes and they were becoming easier to use very quickly. Um, and for me, you know, I spent a lot of time in digital worlds as a kid, you know, playing games, um, building a social identity in, in things like uh, MMOs. And it, it's, it's hard to explain. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to be able to do it justice, but when you spend a lot of time in certain virtual environments online, you, you s- kind of suspend your disbelief in a way where you stop thinking about those things as just pixels on a screen and they almost become real to you. Um, and a good example would be like if you, if you ever spent many, many hours playing a game like World of Warcraft. Uh, at a certain point in time, you might stop thinking about you know your your money in World of Warcraft, your gold in World of Warcraft as like, an abstract digital um, pixelization representation of um, how much money you have in this abstract digital pixelized world, you start to think of it as, you know, real money that you can use to buy real things when you're in this world. Um, And nowadays people spend so much time online that it makes sense that this idea of Bitcoin being magic internet money is just going to slowly fade away as, as suddenly it just becomes money because it's the native money of this place this digital world that we spend so much time in mm-hmm. yeah i think that's i think that that's what's gonna gonna happen so i guess a lot of people current like right now it's very easy for for young people to to use it already uh, many uh, young many younger uh, people already use it for um some mostly gaming i guess or mm-hmm. you know illegal stuff Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah. So for them, I from what I, from my perspective, it's already happening. Mm. 
And uh, so after this section in the article where you talk about the, the social globalization of Bitcoin, you go on to some of the barriers of Bitcoin adoption, uh, particularly epistemic barriers of Bitcoin adoption. You want to talk a little bit more about what you see Bitcoin's biggest barriers are? Uh, yes. So I guess the, the biggest barrier to adopt Bitcoin is just understanding what money is, um, essentially. Hmm. So I even had that I had at this discussion even yesterday with, with a relative, uh, which uh, thought that Bitcoin is some kind of scam, was very skeptical about it. And for two hours, I just explained him the brief history of money, I guess, uh, how it emerges, how it started from basically from seashells, from cows, etc., to precious metals, why it moved there, and why it should now continue to move into Bitcoin why it's, it's so likely to happen. And he was pretty convinced, I guess, from that, hmm. um, which, which is interesting. I guess it is a nice job of that. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that was just one person, I guess. And it took me two hours to, to explain that to him. Right. So, and there are so many people who, who just doesn't understand money, who thinks the same that money is some kind of symbol, money is some kind of illusion, money is some kind of social agreement mm-hmm. or whatever. And just don't, don't grasp uh, its origins as the, the most saleable commodity, the commodity mm-hmm. which you have the lowest price to transact with. Um, and I think because of that, it will be very hard uh, to, to get people uh, into it so as for fiat money, it ha- um, so as for let's start with gold. So as for gold, it has such a long history that no one really questions it as as money. As uh, even even today, like most people still not understand that it's valuable, right? Uh, because it was valuable for at least a few thousands of years. So they they accept that even even though we don't use it as money day to day anymore, they still accept that it was money for thousands of years and it's valuable and will be valuable not merely because it's uh, because it's industrial use but uh, or it's used for jewelry but something something beyond that. Right. Um, so I don't think most people like really think about it that way, but I don't think if if they will will try to to think about it, they will understand that it has something which they can't really easily understand or explain, which is the monetary premium uh, for it, uh, something that gives it even more value. Um, and so for fiat money, it, it's understanding. So people, that that's where we, we started with all the discussion of nobody understands money and just trust the government. Uh, I guess so with fiat money uh, it, it doesn't need to have a, a good record for for its success because it doesn't have it has a horrible record in fact right. of so many collapses of so many uh, so many damages to the economy and to life in general for hundreds of years and I, I guess the way that uh, fiat money, paper money got past that is by basically buying itself, like funding itself into into existence. 
Mm-hmm. So because it was, it's easy money because you can just print it. Uh, governments could just pay pay the university uh, economists in order to to give them to to make them produce work which makes it scientific, I guess. Mm. I use, yeah, so uh, scientific, basically high term, but yeah. So um, they just produce work. Uh, in order to get employment at the central bank, which is like this entire system is working on them getting money in order to convince people that the money that they can get cheaply is indeed money. Um, right. Yeah. And, and in a way, um, the fiat system is actually like a social agreement in, in, and that's probably why people think um, money is a social agreement because they've, uh, they've observed the fiat system for so long that they've come to believe that that must be what money is because that's how it functions in our society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, honestly, I wouldn't say completely a social agreement, but it's based on, on like, its demand is based mostly on legislation, which is, right. I guess, the, the closest thing to a social agreement you can get to. Right. Um, so kind of indirectly, I would agree that this is based on some sort of and social agreement or, um, you know, whatever, on the legal system, basically. Right. Um, but the point is that, as for now, people just think of, of money, they, they think of it as something good. <clears throat> Sorry, as something which is doesn't have value on its own. So money used and until like, until a few uh, a few decades ago, money used to have value as for its own. Um, it used to have demand without uh, being only for commerce. Right. Um, people used to want money even without so even without the uh, its its function uh, in the market. Um, which is uh, that, that's another point for discussing Bitcoin in that regard, but. Um, I mean, why is it important in in uh, this, this sense here? Because um, sorry, uh, because right now people just accept it. People just think that money, its its very essence, is being uh, a token for commerce, um, having no value. Right. Um, and that's that's just not how money evolved. That's just completely nonsense in the very historical sense. Right. So and money up to recently used to have value. And that's what they what they miss, I guess. Right. And and you can see how we've forgotten this in the last one hundred years because um, the people who advocate gold use today, or who say that gold is objectively a better money than Bitcoin because of its intrinsic value. Um, they're demonstrating a lack of understanding of this concept, right? Because you can see how a hundred years ago, people didn't think that gold was valuable because you could turn it into jewelry or because it could be used in electronics. It didn't have, there was no such thing as intrinsic value. Gold just was the most saleable commodity. It was money and it had demand as money. And that's why gold is as valuable as it is today is because it still carries that monetary premium, like you said. Uh, But even the people who 
spend most of their time talking about the value of gold and how gold should be money today don't understand this concept. They've lost touch with um, what what really makes something a money and and what really derives something's value is only whatever somebody's willing to pay for it at any given point in time. There's no such thing as intrinsic value. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So first thing, there's no such thing as intrinsic value. That's completely nonsense in, in the economic sense. So this was refuted years ago. Um, I think Manga was maybe, I'm not sure if it was the first of, or one of the first to do that, but it, this concept was completely refuted. Uh, in the past, for some reason, I guess people still accept it now, but that's that's just completely wrong. There's nothing intrinsic to all values subjective. That's a very important fact. But I think what what's wrong with the, I guess, gold bugs, which try to advocate gold in our modern day as uh, something with intrinsic value, um, I guess they're just trying to be conservatives without understanding what they're trying to conserve. So they just look at the history of, of using gold, but they don't understand why it was used. They just understand, okay, that was used for uh, a few centuries, a few millennia. Let's, let's just stick to that, mm-hmm. which isn't, which is kind of smart in my opinion, but still like not questioning why it was used is, you know, right. they, they missed the entire point because of right. that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it does make sense um, from that perspective. You know, it's like, well, this is what we've always used, so that's what we should use in the future. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to argue with that, except unless you can really understand the nuance of how um, the, the shortcomings of gold as money led us to where we are today, and should we try to return to uh, the the previous way of doing things, we'd very likely end up exactly where we are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So my last question for you, and then uh, we can talk about anything else you want to talk about and wrap things up. Uh, how, how do you think that Bitcoin is really going to change the world? I mean, what, what are some things that you really want to see happen, you know, as this thing continues to emerge as a monetary phenomenon? How, what impacts do you think it's going to have on uh, the way we go about our life and our culture and those types of things? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I hope to uh, write another article which focuses on that honestly but i still have a lot of work to do for that so briefly i guess i see a few options so the most like the like the easiest one to describe is that bitcoin fails for whatever reason uh, people not caring enough uh, governments returning to uh, monetary sanity or whatever so bitcoin could die and that's the easiest option to, to describe i don't think that's likely but that's still an option. Another option is that it becomes um, something like, which is very uh, a, a very small niche money, which is kind of where it is today. Um, another option is that it becomes kind of a black market money, I guess, which mm-hmm. is mostly used for I, I know, most in what is currently called illegal, uh, whatever it, that is today. Um, and I think that the most interesting options, in my opinion, is that first, uh, what I described uh, brief, very briefly in this article, is how it can help in currently um, kind of authoritarian um, countries or 
basically everywhere where there are capital controls and high inflation rate. So mm-hmm. everything which really requires sound money. Um, and gold can't just can't deliver because it's so easy to stop it. Um, so I guess like places like uh, not even just Venezuela, uh, but even less like uh, troubled places like Argentina and such. Mm-hmm. I think they can all and uh, Iran maybe also. So right. I guess they're all like starting like to adopt Bitcoin more than the the first world countries because they actually need it for. Um, for, they have the like the biggest need for that, I guess. Right. To, and to I, avoid. Hmm? Go ahead. Yeah. Yes. So just to avoid their their authoritarian governments and to keep themselves alive, I guess. Uh, to keep themselves uh, to to protect their wealth. Right. To be able to uh, to have a functioning economy. So right. I guess this is uh, another way which Bitcoin. Uh, could grow with um, and I guess the last uh, option uh, that, that I see at least is that some uh, I guess Great Depression or 2008 style maybe bigger like financial collapse will happen and it probably will you said and that's something that will happen uh, in the near future and that could uh, that could either get us very into, uh, I guess, into Bitcoin, like the entire world, or it can get us to the complete opposite of trying uh, more socialism and more communism, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that would still uh, increase. That would just increase the demand for Bitcoin, I guess. Uh, but I so either way, I see Bitcoin grows from from such events. Um, but I do think that there is uh, a need for reform. So people right now are losing. So since, especially since the 2008 crash, people are losing trust in in the traditional systems. Uh, they start seeing that central bankers don't actually know what they are talking about. The, the scam is starting to to be exposed, and I think Bitcoin shows uh, another alternative, which is uh, which is sound money. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think another one that I would, uh, you were talking about the, the countries where the people really need the Bitcoin. I think a, a place where Bitcoin right now, I think would be really useful is in countries like India, like where you said they have these strict capital controls and, and suddenly people are finding, uh, I think also Hungary and probably Hong Kong as well right now, where they're finding themselves unable to even access uh, the capital that they had stored in the fiat system. Uh, whether it be through limits on the amount of money they can withdraw at ATMs, um, banks taking holidays, or uh, them just being basically told their money's not there or they, they can't access it. Um, but the unfortunate thing is that those people, for those people in that circumstance, it's too late. Uh, they have no way to get Bitcoin if they can't access their capital. Um, and, and that could very well, I think, should that something like that happen in the Western world, that could very quickly lead to some sort of socialist coup. Um, those, those types of things get very dangerous very quickly. Um, but, mm-hmm. it, you know, anybody that had access to Bitcoin, to a substantial amount of capital in Bitcoin, uh, should one of those events happen, they'd be, they'd, they might still struggle because they might have difficulty um, finding liquidity for that capital. But they'd at least have access to some form of capital uh, that, that they could use to um, 
transact outside of the traditional financial system. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I guess that's like any other uh, social phenomenon. It's kind of evolving uh, each and every time. So when people see that the those who bought Bitcoin before the the crisis began are doing better than those who didn't, even marginal a bit of, uh, better right now, but still doing better, they will start doing the same. And you see this trend, I guess, in places like Turkey, uh, for example, where people starting to like there's a lot of uh, greater demand compared to other places. Uh, in in Turkey, I guess. So, people, I I think people start to understand that this can help them in in the future. Should there be a crisis, um, so people start to prepare for that. Not because they necessarily understand Bitcoin, but because they they can see how it helps others uh, in in tough times. Right. All right. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed my chat with Ben. Don't forget, you can find a link to Ben's Twitter and also to Ben's article, The Monetary Case for Bitcoin, down in the show notes. If you guys enjoyed today's episode or if you keep finding yourself coming back to the Bitcoin Echo Chamber, it means a lot to me. It helps the show out a lot if you guys can go and leave likes and stars on whatever platform it is that you're listening to. Comments also go a long way especially if they're positive, but I don't expect you to leave a positive comment. If you don't like the show, leave me some constructive feedback as to why or how I can improve, and I will try to take that to heart. If you guys have questions or comments for me, you can find me on Twitter at heavilyarmedc, that's the letter C, or you can reach me via email at bitcoinechochamber at gmail.com. Also, you can find all of our episodes of the podcast on the website bitcoinechochamber.com as well as pretty much on any of your favorite podcast catchers. That's about all I got for this one, guys. So thanks so much for listening, and I will see you in the next one.